Episode two in a series of podcasts of the women's IP world. We started in Mexico and today we're in Zimbabwe. We are celebrating and shining the spotlight on women working in intellectual property law and innovation. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitam IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. And we are based out of the US in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the UK in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. In today's show, we have the pleasure of speaking with Ms. Brenda Matanga, founder of the law firm B. Matanga IP Attorneys. She is the head of the practice and lead IP counsel for her firm, which has recently celebrated its 10-year anniversary. So happy, happy anniversary to you, Brenda. That is an impressive accomplishment. We will be discussing her recent article in the Women's IP World Annual entitled Guardians of the Knowledge Economy, which is now available to read in audio format at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. Before we get there though, Brenda, please tell us about your background and career journey. Well, thanks, Michelle. Um, You're very welcome. We're so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for having me and happy World Intellectual Property Day to you. That's right. And same to you all around the world. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just to get straight into it, Michelle, I began my career 15 years ago. And I started off as, a, as an assistant in an IP firm for a few years until I branched out and started my practice, uh, my own practice in 2010. So I have, I have been running a, an intellectual property law boutique for the last uh, 10, 11 years or so. That's wonderful. And what led to you wanting to branch out on your own and start your own firm? Well, I am that ambitious type of person, so I just wanted to, <laughs> I, yes, I am that ambitious type of person, so I just wanted to build something of my own and maybe just try and see whether I was actually capable of building a business um, single-handedly. I, the other thing is I was very biased towards uh, setting up a specialized law firm. There are very few specialized law firms in Zimbabwe. So I was kind of curious to see how that would be to just uh, speak and practice in one area of the law. And this is why I decided to just branch out and um, try out on my own. So in 2010, when you founded your firm, how many years had you already been practicing? I had practiced for four years. So relatively new, 
to the field still. Yes, I was still I was still very young. I was under 30 and I was still fresh from I was still fresh as a as a as a legal practitioner. But for some strange reason, I felt that I was ready to 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 to, to just you know build my own practice. Though of course when I decided to do it, I spent a, a few months with my practicing license in my wallet because I was not very sure I was very, very ready to to resume at the time. So I spent about three months, uh, kept it a secret, didn't share with anybody that I'd actually registered a law firm in my own name. And then only in January 2010 did, did I decide that I was comfortable to share with friends and family that I was ready to start a practice. So it was actually quite scary right at the beginning, but... At some point, I had to disclose that this is the route that I'd taken and um, just grab the bull by the horns and get started. Wow. Well, congratulations. I can relate because I founded my own firm a year after you. And I understand uh, that confidence, but yet conservative confidence, right? (laughs) Before you actually say, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. So it's really fantastic. (laughs) Can you yes. can you tell us what it's like uh, to be a woman IP practitioner or, or a woman attorney in Zimbabwe? Um, is it do you think different than perhaps it might be in other places in the world? Um, I would like to believe that it possibly would be the same in the sense that um, the legal field is um, mostly, you know, it's mostly full of um, males. I mean, I think it's a male-dominated area, um, if I'm right. So it's still the same sort of thing here in Zimbabwe where you have, um, it's always been like a male-dominated area. But over the years, things have changed. Um, We've started to have a lot of women getting into law practice. um, And um, it's, 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 it's... it's, it's what's really different is that there are very few women who then, you know, uh, start law firms on their own. A lot of the law firms that are that are in Zimbabwe are male run or they were founded by by males. But I think it's mainly because they are the ones that are the majority in that particular practice. Um, we have a few women in in in, in private in in private practice. A lot of the women that are lawyers are maybe in corporate and government um, and maybe in the NGO sector, but fewer women are in private practice. But it looks like a lot more women are beginning to, you know, to open their own um, practices in, in recent years. So when you decided to, I'm doing this, I'm going to tell my friends and family, I mean, it certainly helps to let people know so that you can bring on business, right? Um, by word of mouth, in addition. Did you have instant success? What were some of your strategies to bring on clients in the beginning? Um, so I will tell you this. Like I said, there was a huge gap between, I mean, the the, the prominent IP practitioners who were there were way, way older and in my generation, for instance, I suppose I was just one of the ones that had started out to build like a purely IP practice. So it was quite daunting because here you are 
you are young, you're getting into a green field and you are just walking in there like, you know, without much work experience, you have never run a business, um, you have um, even few years of, of, of working experience. So it was quite a challenge just from that end to think that, you know, someone that young is going into a very green area and now they're, they, they're trying to specialize. So it was it was quite a challenge. It was quite a challenge um, right at the beginning, and also what had happened with our economy is that we were moving from, you know, things were were were, were in a really financial mess. So starting a business during a period where you're transitioning from from one one state of the economy to the other wasn't um, was a very was a very daring sort of act. So it was quite difficult just to set up a business in itself during that time. But what I then decided was, despite the odds and despite the, despite the, the environmental, um, sorry, the economy conditions, rather, I will just try and see how far I could go. So what I started doing was, because I had nowhere to start from, I mean, I, base, I hadn't inherited any like previous clients from my previous employment, because in my previous employment, I had been the one who had sort of set up the, who was trying to set up the IP practice. So it wasn't as if I was walking into a practice where we already had files or clients. So I had to start from scratch, like cold calling, hello, my name is Brenda, this is what I can do for you. Um, and then I just started to just, you know, trying to be more present, being involved in IP activities that were happening in Zimbabwe, like attending conferences, I started writing. I started writing a lot of IP articles. And when funds permitted, I will attend one or two international conferences, just trying to reach out to the market. Because the big blunder I made when I started was I just got an IP directory of different firms internationally. And I was just like writing random marketing letters to them. And obviously, if you go about that route, very few people will come back to you because I'm sure it was spam for a lot of the for a lot of the people who received my mail until I spoke to the one guy, then he says, Oh, Brenda, I've seen your I've seen your I've seen your email, but I don't do business with people that I don't know. And which was quite eye-opening for me because I had never looked at it from that perspective. I thought it was just going to be easy, introduce myself, and the next thing we are talking and it's giving me business. So that's when I then realized that no, I need to invest in building relations. Uh, maybe getting into the IP space, attending these conferences and get into the IP network itself. It's something that I hadn't envisaged. But this whole getting into the IP network requires a lot of investment. You need to put in money to go for these international travels. And I didn't have a big budget. I was just operating from like hand to mouth. So it was quite challenging. I, I took time for me to actually settle and start finding like real business. Brenda, you are a trailblazing unicorn. That's what that's what that's what comes to mind here. At what point did you um, attend your first international conference? You know, when was it? Which one? So there was. You know, if I if I tell you the story, it's actually quite shocking because I did. When I look back, I always ask myself how I did it and why I did it. Um, I was invited to what is called the IP Global Exchange. Uh, they were having a conference in Munich where they would have service providers and um, IP uh, like IP holders where you have your 
big uh, Fortune 500 companies and all. And I happened to be the only the only person from Africa in that particular conference. It was very expensive. We were asked to pay like large sums of money and I had saved, you know, just for me to get there, to be able to get that opportunity to get those um, specialized meetings with potential clients. But obviously they found it a little bit awkward because they didn't, I don't think a lot of them had much going on in Africa, but I think through curiosity, they invited me for the meetings. We said, and I told them what I was trying to achieve. They asked me how old my business was. This was just, I think, two years. And a lot of them were like very impressed to say that, you know, your business is still in its infancy, but you're already here and you're marketing and you're trying to get business from overseas. Have you tried your own country? And my question was, in my country, there's not a lot of business in this area. So I have to come out here where you guys already hold the patents and the trademarks and all that. So this is why I've invested. I'm looking at, you know, building relations with you guys. And a lot of people were kind were very impressed, I think, by that. And that's when I just started, you know, getting to know people. And I was now introduced to that person, speak to that person, speak to that person. But it took a lot of money just for you to get those meetings. I think it was more than 10,000 pounds or something um, just for you to get access to those people. But because I didn't know where to start and I just thought this would be a head start to try and get into the international market. But it was such a huge investment. and But I did it. And to say that I have regrets, um, I don't have regrets. The only thing I learned there was when you invest in such um in such things, it's it, it doesn't it's not a short term investment where the minute you get out of the plane, you start getting people buzzing and sending you emails and giving you business. Because that was my impression. I thought, okay, so if I expend this much, the time I come back home, all the money I'll be able to recoup instantly. It took time. Some of the people are starting to give me business now, 10 years later, but it was then when I made them um, the contact with them. So it taught, it taught me a lot of things about how businesses and relationships are actually are actually built, especially in the IP space. It's, it's I think it's a different ball game together, and you need to you need a lot of time and patience to actually build an an IP practice, which is something that I wasn't quite aware when I started. And we don't learn that in law school. No, we don't. I mean, we are not taught to be business people in law school. We're just taught to be lawyers. So, you know, all these um, business skills that you need, you're learning them on the job. How do I market myself? How do I make, you know, how do I pitch? How do I communicate? How do I manage human resources? How do I budget? You know, all those things. How do I read numbers, for example? I mean, (laughs) you know, the the profit and loss account, how does that work? We're not taught business. All we know is the legal side of things. So for me, it has it has been one of those very challenging things because you are learning to be a business person and at the same time serving as a legal practitioner or as an IP attorney. So you're playing like multi, multi-purpose. What I have found, and let me know if this has been your experience as well, that I too run my, a law firm and I practice law, and I feel like having both hats has made me very well-rounded in understanding the business space and can relate to my clients and the concerns they have, since I, too, 
am a business owner. You are, you are absolutely right because, you know, that has actually given me a competitive edge because I am now, I place my, 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 myself in the shoes of my clients because I understand the issue of costs. I understand, you know, what they're trying to achieve. So my whole perception, I'm not just that lawyer who wants to make fees and just disappear, but I'm also involved in the growth of my client's business. And I actually appreciate what they're trying to do because I have a, I now I've got the business, um, the business experience, and it gives you that business acumen, and you can easily relate with your with your clients in that sense. So you are very right. It has. I think it's it's actually been like one of my 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 biggest um, advantages as I try to 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 build my firm. And because when clients see that appreciation. They, you become very different from the next lawyer who's just maybe reading things out of a textbook and just giving the law as the law without maybe going deeper into the implications and what it means for client and maybe how to even liberate the client's business. I mean, clients want, want that value out of their, their, their lawyers. They're just not, they, they want more than just the, just legal advice straight out of a textbook, so to speak. I agree. And it sounds like you've broadened your contact base, uh, not just in international contacts, but also domestic contacts. I mean, I, I see, I know that you have served in the IP community throughout your career. Your profile has a lot of acronyms. <laughs> so I know that you're involved <laughs> in the IP community in Zimbabwe um, and internationally. Can you tell us where you believe you have the greatest impact and how? Wow. Um, I will tell you this. I think what I did with myself is I decided to make myself an ambassador for IP in, in Zimbabwe. So I play two roles. What I just do, like um, a lot of it comes from passion where I have then just decided to bring a lot of IP awareness um, so in all those talks I have, a lot of them are unpaid. It's just me trying to um, maybe educate um, potential clients or just educate people generally on intellectual property law because a lot of, in Zimbabwe, it's, it's still in its infancy and very few people are actually aware of, of, of that area of the law. So taking on that role of just being an ambassador and um, who teaches people who has just taken it upon themselves to, to, to raise awareness in intellectual property has sort of really made an impact because in a way, when you talk about it, when you write about it, you sort of become authority and you then become like a focal point where people will contact you for advice. How do you go about this? Because now you're involved in policy making. Now you're also involved in law making of the IP itself, and you are serving the market. So I think that whole um, subvergence has has impacted my business or my profile in a very big way, and it probably has propelled me and has enabled me to maybe achieve some of the things I've achieved. Well, it seems to me that you have positioned yourself very well yes. in a relatively short amount of time and you've achieved great success. I mean, you're still here now at 10 years later, 10, 11 years later, you're still having um, a practice that's thriving. When you do you have, do you have staff and other attorneys that work with you, Brenda? 
Um, yes, we have a staff complement of eight. I have three other junior practitioners that assist me, and then I just have support staff. So this has been very intentional in the sense that, you know, there was a time when when I got ambitious and I filled the whole office with people because, you know, like, like I said, um, this thing of you not appreciating business and you think growth means a lot of people and the next thing is they're stressing you out, you can't manage them, they're not bringing in fees and, and all that. So in the end, it's a disaster. Now I had to get rid of people and then rebuild and rebuild, you know. So what I then realized was I'll keep a, a lean structure um, but very efficient because everyone has a role they are playing and the support stuff is fantastic and it has worked from the time I made that decision to keep my 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 practice lean. Um, it has sort of served me quite well so far. I would say probably especially in light of the pandemic. Oh yes, I mean because. Yes, I agree. I mean, it has worked perfectly because you can imagine you're not generating any much revenue or as much as you were making all this time and you've got all these wage bills to take care of. So, I mean, with a leaner, with a leaner, with a leaner staff, you're able to sustain some, you know, you're able to, 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 to I was able to sustain them throughout um, the pandemic. I mean, you can't you can't see me right now, Brenda, but I'm grinning from ear to ear because I I understand. I hear lots of em employees. I hear I hear um, you know that taking away from what's truly important to the firm. True. Right, which is client service and running a lean team actually benefits your clients in um in in a really profound um. Uh, professional way than when you have all this overhead yes. uh, that that is just in excess of what you truly need. Yes. I think the key word there, the, the, the key point there is service delivery. So if I can deliver good service to my clients with, with 10 people um, and still achieve what 20 people can achieve, I think for me, that's what's important. If my clients are happy, it's only when you can't cope, you've got a lot of business more than the people you have. And that, you know, that way, that's where the problem, you know, starts. But as long as you can manage your clients with the lean team and everyone is doing their, playing their part. And, you know, for me, and you're able to fully, you know, deliver and your clients are happy, to be honest, I don't see why you should stress yourself, especially when you're starting up and especially if you you're operating in a in a in a in an economy like ours, which is very volatile, I mean, I just can't afford to have this large law firm. And besides, it's just a single partner firm, so you are sort of like the head, and everyone is expecting, um, sort of looking up to you. So you really have to be very deliberate about some of the de decisions you take and some of the strategies you you devise for your business as you build your business. And when you reduce overhead. You reduce what needs to be charged to your clients, your fees. Yes. So everybody, you know, everybody wins, and you can have this tight net lean group to carry the firm forward. It sounds like you've done quite well, Brenda. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll continue this discussion in a moment. 
The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's first intellectual property law magazine that celebrates professional women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. We are very proud to provide a profile platform for women working in intellectual property and innovation by shining a spotlight on their expertise and professional knowledge in their respective fields of operation in IP through engaging thought leadership content. Our annual publication has caught the eye of many IP associations from all over the world. More importantly, it has attracted a cocktail of awe-inspiring, knowledgeable women who are happy to share their professional and personal experiences of working in the industry. If you would like to be part of the Women's IP World Annual, we would love to shine a light on your professional industry experience. You can contact us on plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email us at info at womensipworld.com. Make sure to check out the latest issue of the Women's IP World Annual at www.womensipworld.com. The Women's IP World Annual. We are celebrating women in IP, IP law and innovation globally. So let's talk about your recent article, Brenda. Speaking of the, the writing that you've been doing, your newest article is entitled Guardians of the Knowledge Economy. I found this title very interesting as in the, in the magazine itself, just opposite your article is right. an ad of a woman wearing a business suit and a briefcase <laughs> looking into the distance. And I was like, yes, that <laughs> is what a guardian can look like. Right, 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 right. You can be what you see. Correct. So tell us the backstory of how you chose that title and the subject matter of your article. Wow. Um, to think, to say I sat down and thought hard about it, um, I don't actually think so. I was just trying to understand what IP practitioners would be in the in this um, in the in this current um, knowledge based economy. What we are, um, and I just realized that you know. We are entrusted by our clients to be guardians of their of, of their intangible assets, which pretty much make up um, the knowledge economy. So this is how I just thought, okay, I think what I what we are uh, as IP practitioners or IP attorneys is we are guardians of the knowledge economy because clients entrust us with their very delicate um you know, de delicate um, things like their inventions, their, you know, like things that are like really close to their heart. And we are these people who are supposed to give them the right advice on commercializing, on protection and all that. And I just felt like it was such a responsibility that we have in the knowledge economy to be those attorneys that give clients the right service, the right advice, and who actually then realize that the, the owners of, of, of this intellectual property is a, like a special breed uh, of clients in the, in, in the current um, knowledge-based economy uh, based on, you know, which is based mo mostly on information and, and um, intangible. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I came about with this. Well, included in your article are three separate gemstones. Right taking that word directly out of your, your article. Uh, one has to do with the happy birthday song. Yes. The other is, uh, or I should say the second is champagne. 
which I think inter interests many uh, IP practitioners around the world, right. <laughs> even if we're no longer at conferences. And Hakuna Matata. Yes. Right. And that's specific to Africa. Choose one. Tell us a little bit of background about um, that particular topic or gemstone. Uh, we'd be really interested in at least getting uh, a little taste uh, about your article. Right. So what happened in this article is we were trying to 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 discuss our ten year journey, but use very practical examples of um you know so as to be able to just uh, maybe tell the story to say when you're celebrating, when you reach a milestone like a 10-year anniversary, um, it's your birthday. And as we all know, people celebrate, for example, there's a song that we sing on your birthday. But did you know that there's actually an IP issue there? This is when we then got to, to the issue of this has been the exclusive property of Wano or Chapel Music um, for the longest time, I think since about 1949, and uh, for you to be able to sing this song publicly, to, like to make a public performance of it, you have to pay license fees to the owner of this um, copyright, you know, this intellectual property. So it's one of those things that people maybe don't think about. So I realized that it, you want to speak about something that is relevant and that people can understand. So... This is how we decided to maybe come up with um, the the IP issues behind the the happy birthday song. I was Brenda. I was completely shocked. Really? It was so interesting. Yes, I was so surprised to hear that someone actually owns the rights to a song we sing with our families and friends. And I, I would have thought it was public domain. I think by now, because I know there's that legal case that's, um, that that was there between the Good Morning to You and One uh, Hour Chapel Music, where they were saying, no, by now this song should be in the public domain. It's past the 70 years. I don't know. I think in the States it's past 90, 90 years or something like that. We're 72. We're, I mean, not 72. We are 70 also, right. <laughs> to be clear, um, post the death of the author. That's when a copyright expires, um, and that had a lot to do with the lobbying of uh, Walt Disney. Hmm, go figure, um, <laughs> since Mickey was expiring. <laughs> so that goes back some time. But this gives the listeners a little bit about your um, article. I found it really fascinating. That's a small detail that will hopefully intrigue readers to check out uh, more about that story and the other two gemstones included in your article. Brenda, thank you for participating in today's podcast. It has been a real pleasure to have you on the show. To our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. Until we connect in person, take good care. The Women's, Women's IP World. Women's IP World. You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast. Hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.